You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Virginia Haywood and this is the 3CR Garden Show. We are back, which is great. And I hope you're all out there listening. With me, Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery and Jane Tonkin from Tonkin Bulbs. Good morning, Craig. Good morning. Good morning. And a bit of a cool morning. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. You're very lucky I made it on time. You know, I went out into the garden with the secateurs this morning to just get a few more bits to bring in, and black slugs were everywhere. Oh. <laughs> so I got sidetracked for quite some time. <laughs> so we know what he'll be doing when he gets home too. <laughs> It'll be too late by then. No, they'll all be gone back into hiding, and they are enormous. Yeah. yeah. And, and they're introduced. They're introduced, Yeah. And the snails are out at the moment, too, yeah. loving all the rain. I must admit, I'm loving the rain, though. Um, uh, it makes digging bulbs a lot easier when it's um, a little bit softer. Um, trying to get wholesale orders done, because um, we sell a bit to Garden Express and um, Druitts and Van Diemen's down in Tassie. Um, and the other day, sort of digging out and these big clods of dirt that I needed a sort of a hammer to get Galanthus out of and... Um, because they, our problem with deer doesn't help when they trample on top of beds of things and stuff too. That, no, they're completely compacted. Yeah, mm. so um, thank you for the rain. I, I'm very pleased. Just a but, pity it didn't come from the north instead of the southwest. Yeah. <laughs> well, keep you warmer, Craig. <laughs> well, no, it's not so much me. It's the propagating, you know. It, yeah. It's been a very difficult year. Nothing's maturing mm. that in terms of the wood. Yeah. Yeah. And there's not much you can do about that. you just got to wait. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah, fun, fun times, you know, catalogues out and um, so I'm running a little bit behind on getting orders and stuff done because you get that mad rush as soon as the catalogue goes up, um, which is always fun too. Um, I think it, it um, people say to me that you should have it up all year round, but it's kind of exciting when it only goes up twice a year um, for people to get that email and start ordering and... Um, can go live and five minutes later I've got the first order, which is a bit exciting. So, mm-hmm. um, so p- please be patient if you have ordered something and you haven't got it yet. Has um, it been going I'm on well? It. Yeah, really good. good. So um, yeah. that's great. I think um, I don't know whether through COVID I think has introduced a lot of people to gardening and, and wanting to be outside and um, things. So I think that makes a, a big difference to um, nurseries and things like that, which is great because we've suffered for a long time. <laughs> mm. But yet again, we're losing one of our really good nurseries. Yes, we are. Well, we're, we're losing the stalwart of the nursery. Um, so if people haven't heard, the um, very, very famous um, Lamley Nursery run by um, the exemplary David Glenn. Um, David is actually retiring 
and because um, he will be 80 in April. I hope he doesn't mind me sort of um, <laughs> divulging his age. But um, he and his beautiful wife, Chris Canning, who is a famous Australian artist um, on her own, very influential in still life paintings and um, her colour palette is just incredible. And a lot of that has led to the design of the garden up at um, Ascot where Lambley is situated. Um, David came out to Australia from England in the 1960s and um, so he would have been in his sort of, yeah, late teens, early 20s then. Ended up as a propagator at the old Bolter's Nursery up in Alinda mm-hmm. um, and then he started um, his own nursery and renting down the bottom of Dickens Road. Craig, yeah, yeah, I went there, yeah. Yeah, um, years and years ago. That's in Alinda as well. Yeah. yeah, and then from there, I think it was in about 87 that he and Chris then moved up to Ascot and um, I think it's an 1860s bluestone home but the, the property was just sort of a bit ramshackled and things and, and from that they restored the home, built this amazing five-acre garden of dry-tolerant um, perennials and things, and the famous Lamley Nursery. So they have put Burnside and the nursery on the market together. Um, that's supposed to go on the market this weekend. Uh, so hopefully that somebody will buy it and continue that fabulous Lamley name. Um, whether that happens, I don't know. But in the meantime, David will continue to um, take care of the gardens and run the nursery. So please be rest assured that they're, they're still in operation. The garden is still open. Um, might be a chance to go and have a look at how fabulous it is. Um, if you look up Lamley on Instagram or Facebook, you can see some amazing photographs at the moment of how wonderful the garden looks. Um, the legacy that David leaves behind is is probably indescribable. Like he is renowned for um, trialling plants properly. So um, propagating and then planting out and making sure that it is going to tolerate the Australian climate um, before it's released to gardeners and things. And you can look at comments from people like Michael McCoy or Paul Bangay or even our own Simon Rickard um, the respect that they have for the man, and these are some of our top garden designers um, as well that I think they're, through their careers have looked up to someone like David um, because he, he was before his time in um, designing this dry climate sort of situations. It's said to be one of the best dry climate gardens in the world. That is fabulous. And, you know, he, he has a, a reputation overseas as well. It's not just here. Um, like one of his euphorbias crossed Martinii. Um, it's a variegated form and it's called Ascot Rainbow. Um, it ended up on the cover of the RHS um, journal in England in 2013 and it's those kind of accolades that, you know, he <laughs> definitely deserves. But there is so much to the man as well as um, what he's achieved in the world of plants and things. Um, so, you know, I, I just wish David and Chris, because there's always a good woman behind a man <laughs> and or, when a, or com- a man behind a man. Um, and, I th- and I think um, Chris has had a great influence on 
um, how David's progressed with things and stuff too. So With her eye. Yes, yeah. Um, so we wish them both well on the next journey in their lives and just simply thank you, David. And hope and, and Huge pray. thank you. Mm. And, and, you know, I think one of the most important things David did was the introduction of grasses. Yeah, true, yep. There was nobody listing miscanthus when he started. Mm. Yeah. And and the way miscanthus can waft around, you know, uh, and catch lights on a summer evening and things like that in um, in a garden is is well worth looking at too. And that's something that I think, um, you know, antique perennials have then taken on as well um, up at King Lake, their their garden, there's a lot of times when Matt takes photos in the evening that it just looks beautiful. Yeah. And that tradition, we have diggers, well, at least we have Cloud Hill and the dig, some of the diggers, all of the diggers' nurseries have got beautiful gardens attached and yeah. it, that is such an important tradition. It just makes such a difference to be able to see what is growing. Mm. Oh, and David would have had a huge influence on Cloud Hill, particularly mm-hmm. in the early days. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think he's had a, a major influence on everybody. everybody. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if anyone's out there this morning and would like to share a, a Lambley story with us. That might be fabulous too. But, yeah, just rest assured that David is still there and, and controlling things at the moment. Um, they He just thinks it's time that he might... Hang up the gardening shears, I think. Is 80 the, is not a bad run. It's not a bad run. So, yeah, um, yeah and Craig, you're not allowed to retire. Um, the gardening world needs you. I might follow in his footsteps. <laughs> and retire at, at, at 80? 80? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to hold you to that. Um, I, it, I think it, it, it's kind of sad. F- well, it is sad for me. It's not kind of sad. It's definitely sad for me that uh, an era is is ending. Um because I consider them both my friends as well, and um, there's a lot of people in this industry that are that are closing, um, like Moid Art Nursery up in New South Wales. It's just south of Barrel. Huge um, plant collection. Yeah, amazing, amazing um, list of bulbs and perennials and things that you can't really find anywhere else unless you go to sort of Craig's or sometimes on my website. Um, and, you know, then there's, you know, Vogelry bulbs down in Tasmania that have been around for donkey's years. And it's just because um, people are getting on a bit and retiring as well. Um, but, but we're, it, we're but losing all these, these specialist sort of places. And it is reflected across across the labour market. Um, my lawnmower man cannot find anyone to work with him. He's getting on and nobody is taking over those yeah, those yeah. businesses, you know. I think sometimes Ginny and the young ones don't really want to do some hard work, but um So but it's 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 it is really I mean the nurseries, the good the little nurseries, well they're not little, but you know compared to Bunnings they're little. Mm. And those little nurseries that just have and and actually even set the standard for Bunnings. I mean Bunnings was really bad for quite a long time, but they've had to up their game. They're still not nearly as good as, you know, yours or Stevens or Craig's. But it's really important that the 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 lead that Lamley, your nurseries, antique, it's a very important in the industry. We'll end up with no plants if we've got no decent nurseries. Yeah. So it, we'll all be planting petunias. And I think it is about supporting your local nursery rather than some of the bigger you know. mm. And and when Change. you go in, when you go into your local nursery, 
um, you can speak to a, a person that's got the knowledge and stuff. Like you go into Craig's and, and ask him a question. Well, he often and says to me, you can't grow that, Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he does it with sale. love, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> there goes Isn't that, that right, sale, but nevertheless. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd rather he be honest the way he is um, than you take it home, Virginia, and die. <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's I'm, why we're poor. <laughs> it's indeed. Yeah, I was going to say it takes a particular passion. Yeah, to, to grow plants. <laughs> yeah. And I might add, I still manage to kill quite a lot of my plants, even with the help. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't we all? That's okay. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Now, listeners, there's one thing I'd like you to do, which is to get a pen and paper if you're interested in what's on in August, because I'm going to read out all the events that are coming up, because autumn is just such a totally wonderful time. It's the best season. Yeah. It's the it's when you get that chill when the, when the when the winds are not ripping us apart. Yeah. It's those beautiful chilly mornings that Yeah, I and love. those long periods of yeah. stable weather. Yeah. It's the stable weather, I think. It's yeah. a, it's the same in Britain. I don't know if it's everywhere in the world. The only two places I know are here and there. But autumn is just that yeah. time when when you can I just chill out. It's yeah. beautiful. Yes, and so I will just mention what is coming up. Now, the Deep breath, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a few there's things. There's a huge list. <laughs> the first one is, is Open Gardens Victoria for next weekend and they've got three gardens open in Footscray and West, West Footscray and this, of course, is particularly interesting because it's small gardens and it's productive gardens. It's only open on the Sunday, $8 each or 20 for all free. All three gardens, and we have got one free ticket if you ring in on nine four one nine zero one double five. And then the next weekend, eighteenth of nineteenth, is the Chili Festival in the Yarra Valley. The twenty sixth and the twenty seventh is another Open Gardens Victoria in Brighton, Karen's Garden in Brighton. Twenty sixth and twenty seventh is the Dahlia Show which is open from 1pm on the Saturday to 3.30 on the Sunday and it's at the Mount Waverley City Centre. Now, all of these will be online, so you can look them all up. March 5th and 6th is the Whittlesea Garden Expo at the showgrounds and next week Ben will be here and he will be going to Whittlesea, so he'll probably talk a bit about that. The following week, the 11th and 12th, is the Fernie Creek Autumn Show, which we all love, and that's 10 till 4 on both days. Then in April, well, from the end of March to April, from the 29th of March to Sunday, the 2nd of April, is Mifkus, which, of course, is in the city next to... And that's the, where I'll be. You'll be there, <laughs> yes, next to the exhibition buildings. And then the 22nd and 23rd of April is the Yarra Valley Plant Fair, which is always fabulous. And Stephen will be um, the MC for that. Yeah, which is fabulous. So Can the, I add one more? Please do. So for February as well, so the 25th, that's a Saturday at 2pm, the AGS, so the Alpine Garden Society of Victoria are holding their buy, swap and sell. And it's in the... Alinda Community Hall, which is right next to the Alinda Pool. Um, and so there's lots of the members of the AGS bring along things to either buy, swap or, or sell. And um, it's actually open to the public to come and purchase and stuff too, which is 
really good because generally these things are close to the AGS members only and it's free. So that's the 25th at Olinda at 2pm. Yep. And just on the Plant Collectors Fair on that weekend of March the 11th and 12th that you did mention to Virginia, run by the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society, that's the fun one that we all love to go to. Absolutely adore it. Um, that's only a $5 entry fee um, for that event too, so it's really, really cheap. And, for, and Ben and Kerry will be there and me um, and lots of other sort of even backyard collectors and things so you can get a chance to find something really special. That is absolutely one of the things that's special about the Fernie Creek Autumn Show is that you've got backyard collectors. It's not only nurseries. It's it's fantastic. And like your own, I mean, you're much the same as a backyard collector because people don't know how to get to you or where you are. (laughs) Sometimes I like that. (laughs) And and Craig's nursery, Gentiana, is only just down Down the road. road. That's right. It's usually a good weekend for me. Yeah. Yes. It's probably because people come in and go, oh, so have you been to see Craig? Or people come in and go, I've just been to see Craig. Yeah. So. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. You know, my first garden was in Footscray. Was it? Yeah. Really? And it was beautiful soil, really friable, loamy soil. Yeah. And I grew um, a lot of the small eucalypts, which weren't very – you couldn't find a lot of them in those days. You know, that that's expanded a lot now. But I had Praciana and Leucoxin rosea. And they they, shade, shade, they give a nice shade, yeah. a sort of dappled light that yeah, I could grow the perennials under them. Wow. And, yeah. now, and now, of course, if you go to Melton, Melton Botanic Gardens, you have the most fabulous example of those small eucalypts. They are terrific. Oh, they are wonderful. Yeah, there's a friend of mine in, in Monbolk who has got a dwarf form of, um, of the um, lemon-scented gum. And it is sublime, wow. multiple trunks. Oh, how superb. Yeah. Is, was that an accident or is that actually available? Um, I think it's available. I'm not sure. Must check at Karanga. Yeah. Because wow. that would be wonderful. It is, yeah. I've got a couple of lemon scented. I've got one which Snowy, my dog, and Snook, my cat, are under. And it's been blocking the view for years, but it's nearly over. I put it in. I was trying to be Guilfoyle, plant in the long term. Thought it's all right, it doesn't matter, it's going to block the view, it will get above it, and it's almost above it. Mm. Which tells me that my darling Snowy has been dead for a long time. I think yeah. they're Carimbia now, aren't they? They're not yes. eucalypts anymore. Yeah, yeah mm. they're Carimbia. Mm. But I just think they're totally wonderful. Yeah, beautiful trees. Mm. Mm. And I've got one over, over my table that we eat at, and last year... The weebills nested in it, and that was so exciting to see weebills. It's the smallest bird in Australia. It was fun sitting, drinking wine, eating cheese and watching, watching them. <laughs> exactly. And it's so interesting. I, I, I thought they were there, but they flit. You can't see them, even if you've got brilliant eyesight, which I don't, but you can't see them. And so the nest was the first time that I could actually be sure of what it was. That yeah. they, it was actually them, Weebills, because... Mm. It's a bit like the um, spotted pardalote yes. that yeah, spends all its days up in the trees but nests in the ground in... Well, since and... my big eucalypt fell over, I've now got pardalotes because they're mm. using the, the back of the trunk where all the clay is around the roots. They're using that for nesting. In nest, yeah. Which is wonderful because I haven't had pardalotes before. I'm very excited when mm. I see them. And I've had t- um, right outside my kitchen window... I've got a willy wagtail that's had two clutches. So that's been fabulous too. 
Wow. Two. It would, the, would have been a boom year for them with all the insects. Yes, yes. Apparently they can have up to four. I looked it up. Okay. I was surprised. I can't imagine how they'd manage four. But anyway, they've done two. I think willy wagtails are, the, are the, the bird that if you're feeling down and you see them flitting around and the way they show off and things, I think it always makes you feel better inside. They're great. Now, if anyone would like to ring us, somebody has rung for the free ticket, which is wonderful. Already? Great. Already. Yes, that's excellent. You can ring us on 94190155 or you can send us a message on 0488 809 So do contact us. We would love to hear from you. Yes, I think it's going to be because we've had the water. My garden's as dry. Well, it won't be today, but it was at that point of being really dry again. But even though the clay was beginning to crack and it was very hard and I mm. got to the point where I couldn't really dig, I know that there's water down there. The water table's risen. None of my trees are going to be suffering. So it's been an incredible year and, 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 and it's been a year of insects. The spiders in the garden, I mean, I, I am over getting a face full of spider, <laughs> spider webs. <laughs> they are everywhere. <laughs> and and dragonflies. Oh, fabulous. At, at yeah. the Arboretum the other night, they were there in their thousands. Mm. It was The air was just thick with them. Incredible. And I suppose there's some autumn flowering things that will be coming out in the Arboretum soon, won't there? Mm. Not really? No, I don't. I don't. Yeah. Just spring. It's a bit sad, really. Yeah. Lots of autumn bulbs that will come out come yes. soon. I do think... Um, I think autumn bulbs are very underutilised in gardens and things. Everybody goes for the traditional spring, spring. daffodils and tulips and hyacinths and things. And um, There's lots of different autumn things like um, belladonnas, you know, the old, everyone knows the naked, naked ladies. ladies. And then in that sort of same family are nerines and lycoris and things like that. Um, but there's other fabulous things like um, autumn flowering crocus as well. Um, but there's also colchicum that they call autumn flowering crocus. Um, they're from the Mediterranean and um, quite a lot larger than a crocus flower, but in those beautiful um, purple soft, sort of hues and soft things. colours. Mm. Yeah. And, and sometimes checkerboard patterning. Yeah, patterning yeah. and stuff. So colchicum is one thing that people could look into. Um, I think the one crossbys and tinum is probably the easiest to grow and the easiest to get hold of and start with if anyone's looking for that. But you just pop them in very soon and they'll be up by flowering in March. Mm. Um, And then they have this fabulous green foliage during the winter that is quite architecturally beautiful as well. And then that just dies down and um, you leave them in, don't have to dig them or anything. And it's these sort of late summer, early autumn rains that that bring on things. And rain lilies like Zephyranthes and Hebranthus and things. Yum. I Mm. love So many autumn bulbs. Yeah. It's Mm. true. And it just... I mean, one of the things about all those things that are dormant over the summer, it's hard to remember, but we did have a 10-year drought. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And those things that are dormant over the summer, you don't have to worry. Your garden can completely go down the pan, but they will come back in autumn. And that just is such a lift in the drought times when everything else is looking terrible. And and, and the autumn bulbs, well, particularly with colchicums and narines anyway, you you just have to leave them alone. Mm. And they make enormous clumps in time. 
Yeah. So a lot of people say to me, oh, I get lots of leaves, Jane, but no flowers. And it's because you're actually treating it too well. Um, and people, they don't need a lot of fertiliser, so um, none of the heavy ones that, like, what <laughs> Craig and I like to use. Um, and it's, it is that put it in and neglect and Mother yep. Nature does her thing. And nerines and belladonnas and things particularly like a hot summer bake, so that dry period of December, January, and it's the rain that we just had in the last couple of days that they then go, oh, I'm going to flower. Mm-hmm. So great timing. Yeah, and, of course, the acyclamen. Yes. Many autumn varieties. Yeah. Yeah. Which, Craig's got a couple. Can we talk about a couple of those? Let's first go oh, to our, um, to Jill in East Brighton. Good morning, Jill. Hello, Hello panel. It's lovely to have you back. Um, Thank you. It, yes, I, I just thought I'd ring and just give you a little bit of news because I asked your advice last year. Um, I, I asked if I could cu- um, coppice my Silver Princess eucalypt because it had got very old and tired and was just a single trunk that, you know, was, had lost all its silver and was uh, looking brown and about to fall over. And um, so I, I hacked it off at the base and... Nothing happened for two months, and my husband was saying, you've killed it, you've killed it. And now I have about at least a dozen stems uh, roaring up about um, oh, 40 centimetres above the malignotuber, uh, uh, looking absolutely healthy and wonderful, and um, it's, it's uh, going great guns. I'd be inclined to thin them a bit. Yes, that was one thing I was just about to ask you. Yeah. Um, how many do you think I should... Go for uneven number. <laughs> An uneven number. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Craig yeah. likes three, five, or seven. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you think? Uh, I reckon I could go I'd to say five. seven. Yep. Five. Five or seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's good. Thing. Good to do them while they're young and easy to get rid of, and yes. not too traumatic yes. for the plant either. For the plant, no, because yeah. probably at this stage almost rub them off. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And uh, you were talking also about the Carimbia citriodora. Um, I've just re-landscaped my whole front garden. Um, and the, one of the main tree that I have left is a um, the citriodora, which is now, I'd say, I planted it as a tube stock about 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I reckon Fabulous. it would be almost 15 metres high. Um, and, yeah, the whole garden is designed around it. And it's just gorgeous, um, really, really um, dramatic. And I've got, you know, paths of gravel that I've tried to get the same colour as the trunk of the tree. And um, even the house, which we've had rendered, is, is sort of taking its tones from, the, from, the, from that tree. That's great. And, uh, yeah, so, so, yes, they're a gorgeous thing. Interestingly, that since I've done or had all the landscaping done, I'm getting lots and lots of citrusola of, um, seedlings popped up, popping up much more than I have before. They're obviously loving the new conditions. Yeah, that's from the disturbed soil, is it? Or? I presume so, yes, yeah. mm. yes. But I am having to pull them out because I think, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, one's enough. Know, in a suburban garden, one's enough. <laughs> they are big, which is why yes. the thought of a dwarf one is so exciting. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I thought, oh, that sounds fabulous. Yes, if if any of my other ones should come to grief, I think I'll be trying to to um, access that. Mm. Uh, who, who did you say has has bred it? We don't know. Don't know. It's a friend oh. of mine in Mombolk has got it in her garden, and it would have come from Karanga, I suspect. 
Oh, right, yes. But yes, whether yes. they carry them as a regular thing or not, I don't know. But we will find out and we'll tell people next week. Yeah. Oh, that would be terrific. Thank mm. you very much. Mm. Yes. Look, I don't know that I have room. I have somewhat overplanted in a frenzy of delight when, when the work was finally done. <laughs> yeah, and that's right. And when you say dwarf, I mean, it's not necessarily a small plant. No. Exactly. Yeah. No, I can't imagine. Yes. Because it it's be not a small. small tree. Yeah. No, it is not. <laughs> But Jill, I, I did the same with my paper bark. I cut it down because it was blocking my view. Yes. And it has come back as the most divine shrub and I'm just going to cut it down every three or four years. Yes, yes, just keep it keep it neat. Mm. At the moment, I must say, I'm sort of willing this to grow on madly because we did have a, um, we did have a lot of privacy um, before um, with all the, some of the trees that had to come out. There were things like tamarisks and so on, you know, it's just, a bit of a nightmare tree, I've decided. Um, Why, Jill? So, oh, well, it looks absolutely fabulous when it's doing its flowering, which is about three weeks a year. Mm-hmm. Then it gets the tamarisk gets millions of seeds that are like dandelion um, fluffy things that just stick to everything. And if you go near the tree, they're all through your hair, your clothes and everything, and they stick on every um, spider web on the house, you know, really <laughs> emphasising those. Um, and it's also suckered madly from the base. And, oh, um, the suckering and, is yeah, always a terrible thing. Shocking thing. And, I, you know, for years I, I, I put up with it for the three weeks a year. It looked beautiful. And finally I just thought, no, I can't stand it any longer. <laughs> but, however, at the moment we've got a bay window where our dining room is and, and as people walk past on the footboard, they wave to us as we're eating breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> You're on show, Jill. <laughs> I am. It's like being a goldfish in a bowl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the other, but there are advantages. I mean, it does mean you get to know your neighbours better. If something, yeah, oh, if you're not there yes. and something happens and people know who you are, they will respond. They certainly do and would. And we're in a court, actually, that's a really beautiful village atmosphere. We have, you know, uh, drinks out. We've got a little little park uh, in the, uh, at the end of the court where, where we're opposite that. And every Friday there are people just take a chair out and a glass of wine and have oh, a drink with the neighbours. And I think that's fabulous. Excellent. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful, yes. So where do you live, <laughs> Jill? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we'll be there. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little village. It really is. Uh, and we have, you know, Christmas And Jill, the, and so on. at the end of yep. the month, the Open Garden for Open Gardens Victoria is in Brighton. Yes, I, my ears pricked up uh, and you said Karen's Garden is yes. open. I will yes. certainly be going along to that. That's, that's Fabulous. Yeah. Well, it's Wonderful. lovely to talk to you, Jill. Thank you very much for ringing. <laughs> Oh, my pleasure entirely. Uh, and as I said, just lovely to have you back. And I hope you had a great break, all of you, because you well and truly deserve it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very okay. much. Okay. Right. Bye-bye. <laughs> that's excellent. That's, so that's interesting too. I enjoyed that call. We've got some texts. Um, our first one, which my answer is no, but I will follow this up. Are there any dates for the Begonia show that is held in Moorabbin? No, I don't know. It's in March, isn't it? She thinks it's the end of February. You th- okay. You think yeah. it's March. I will definitely check that out and put it onto our list and maybe somebody who is involved with the Begonia show might ring in or text us yeah. and let Could us text know. Text us too. and let us know, exactly. And then our next one. Hello, my name is Rachel and I live in Fitzroy and I was just wondering how to keep pot plants happy and healthy but in the same size pot. Is there a way... of 
to avoid repotting into bigger and bigger pots and keeping the plants the same size. Would depend entirely on what they are, of course. Um, but there's nothing wrong with pr- um, root pruning. Absolutely nothing wrong at all. But it, it, again, it depends entirely what you're dealing with. Because the other thing is, is that a pot-bound plant responds to fertiliser, so mm. just keep feeding them and they'll look good. Mm. And, yeah. and recognise that maybe they're not going to live for 20 years. But it, 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 she, and it should text back and say what she's growing. Yes. If you're listening. So, Rachel, we'd like to know exactly what you're growing in Fitzroy. Because that, that would determine how you treat them. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And then we have one more. Good morning. Thank you for your show. Black slugs. <laughs> they seem to have exploded in number with the wet spring mm-hmm. and wondering how we control them or get rid of them. And also, how bad are they? I've seen them eating capeweed. Well, that's a good thing. In the lawn and, and so far not eating precious plants. Richard in Callista. They, they decimate plants <laughs> if they like them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I put one of my precious gentians in the garden and came out and found four of them on it. Oh, no. No chance. I'm surprised you hear it all, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> um, a sharp pair of scissors is how I deal with them. Cut them in half. Cut, Cut their, heads their heads off very quickly. Mm. It, it, I would imagine it's quick and painless. Mm. Yeah. Who wouldn't know what was happening? Yep. Yeah. Yes, and I, do, I mean, it's by far the best way to deal with things like that is actually to deal with, I mean, whether whether it's aphids on your roses or black slugs in your garden, deal with them personally. Yeah, and I think I've reduced numbers in my garden phenomenally. I mean, the first time I saw them, the lawn was just glittering with them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So what time do you go out? After rain. Mm. Yep, is the best, early in the morning before they go back to bed for the day. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that... Helps Richard and Anne in Callista. It does sound um, like a good idea. They're from Northern Europe and they only live in the wet places. Do you get them, Jane? Odd ones. Yeah. But not a lot. I've never seen them in Mombolk, so they don't go down that far. I don't want the garden glistening with them. Yeah. Yeah. I I haven't seen uh, maybe one. Mm. I very rarely see them at mine, but of course... I'm lower than you and I'm on top of the hill, so I'm yeah. much drier than any yeah. of you. Of course, they weren't at my place when I first moved there. It's only in the last five or ten years that they've come in. So they're obviously moving through the hills. Yes. Yeah, yeah and Richard was at Callista, which is not... So yes. That's yeah. on that same side of the That, that same yeah. cool, damp, mm. yeah. beautiful growing conditions mm. that I envy yeah. so much. Right, we've got the Begonias show. It is on the 25th and 26th of February. There you go. So I will get some more details and AB will tell you more about it next weekend. So the Begonia show, 25th and 26th of February. So that's great. We're getting, oh, look, isn't it wonderful? So you ask every, the question. And, yeah, and every weekend. And it, yeah. it is the place to buy Begonia. In, incredible. I because come to it, you, Craig. It's all, yes, that's right, but I don't have the, the – I mean, there's a vast array of – because they're all backyarders. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's, it's always wonderful. That's the thing that's so good with Fernie Creek. Backyarders are wonderful. Yeah. You do find really unusual things that way, which yeah. is exciting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've got another one. My nephew in Flemington has a small backyard. 
He loves Australian native plants, but is not a gardener. Is there a garden designer, landscaper we could recommend to help him? I think that he should experiment himself. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to make him into a gardener. That message is from Fermi. Oh, okay. So it's not like he doesn't have an uncle who can give him good advice. What what about yourself, Fermi? (laughs) He's going to bombard us with text messages. Um, uh, Look, uh, no. But I think the thing, uh, uh, Fermi, take him for an outing. Take him for lunch at Karanga. And, And go down to Cranbourne. And look at Cranbourne, yes, because they do some – because that's what you need to do. Have a look. I mean, there's so much – there's so many Australian natives that will fit in. And the other one, um, Kawara. Yeah, Yeah, Kawara's a little bit neglected. But it's also lots of fabulous plants. Yeah. And you can buy plants there. You can, and Um, they're good value. mm, I think think having a look, going around and having a look is a really good idea. That might actually inspire – Fermi's nephew to to want to do it himself too, yes. which would be a good thing. But as far as and recommending all- landscapers and things, I, I think it's basically you you have to have a look at your local area and yeah. see who's available. And recommending it, people is fraught with you, danger. Yeah. <laughs> if you go to Karanga on a Saturday, you can see Lindy because she works there and if anybody knows about Yeah, it's true. So uh, go and have your lunch at Karanga on a Saturday and ask for Lindy because she is fabulous and she will help you and she's keen and enthusiastic. And we apologise in advance, Lindy, that you're going to need a diary and, and appointments now. <laughs> and, and understand that Australian natives are not low-maintenance. Yes, yes, this is a myth. There is no. I mean, you can have a low-maintenance garden, diosma, nothing yeah. else. I'm surprised, Fermi, and, and a little bit upset that you haven't talked him into um, a bulb garden. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, here's an interesting one. Hi, Virginia, Jane and Craig. Recently, we bought some pink kakabeek plants, Cleanthus, from Bunnings. I have only ever seen the red form and very occasionally the white form. I don't think there is any other form other than the red and the white. I adore them. I'm always trying to grow them. And I find them very difficult. Snails love them. Absolutely. They crawl over broken glass to get yeah. to them. Yes. Yeah. So you really have to protect them for those first few years till they get above snail height. Yeah. yeah. There's fabulous big ones in the botanic gardens. And I saw a wonderful one um, somewhere out of Yarra Junction once, which was big. And, and they need to be pollarded. Why? Because they get... They, they, get tall and leggy mm. um, and, and they flower on new wood. So if you pollard them, you get lots of flowers. Mm. Yeah. They are absolutely beautiful. But I have – and I think the other thing, I did try growing them during the drought. So if I by some chance managed to beat the snails, which is highly unlikely, I couldn't beat the hot summer Yeah, because they are New Zealand and New Zealand is – just renowned for the mildness of its climate. I'm mm-hmm. sure if anybody in Auckland is listening, they say, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> but, you know, they don't, I don't think they suffer the dry at all well, which is mm. one of the elements of my place. On oh, New Zealand, if they don't get rain for a month, they're screaming drought. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, Michael, I in my experience, they're not that easy, but they grow very easily in the botanic gardens, I know, so other people find them, does, must find them easier than me. Does Michael say where he is? 
at all? Forest Hill. Okay. So I have no doubt she'll be able to grow them. It, 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 it is those first few years when they're vulnerable to snail attack. Unbelievable. That's and been slugs. my experience of them. Yeah. Have you, I haven't seen them in your garden. I don't. Well, no, clearly because <laughs> every one of the plant has been eaten. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. So the thing to do is get it above. I suppose you could keep it in the pot for a couple of years. Putting it in bigger and bigger pots so that you I'd can... put some copper tape around it, the trunk or something, so yeah. they can't get up it. Yeah. Yes, that's a good idea. Yeah, but I think they're well worth persevering with. Yeah. They're absolutely fabulous. And next spring, go for a walk through the botanic. They've yeah. got a big New Zealand garden, and um, the person that used to run that now is working in New Zealand. And she managed to get some white ones into the gardens before she moved to New Zealand, which is I'd never seen the white ones yeah. before. So that's all very exciting. You know, in Wellington, this is this is kaka related. In Wellington, they have this thing called Zealandia, which is a predator-free zone, so that the birds can breed. And apparently, kaka are taking over Wellington now. Oh, how fabulous! <laughs> yes, and they they're a bit like cockatoos in that they attack windowsills and things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kaka beak. Yes. <laughs> How fabulous. Oh, look. And, Michael, would you please keep us informed? Because if you're successful, I want to know all about it and I might try again. See, there's a challenge, isn't <laughs> Yes, yeah. I'm going to try again. <laughs> and I would have thought in the, in the early days of its development, a little bit of shade. I, th- I think shade is essential. And I, it's one of those plants. First question, will it take a north wind? No. No. Well, what they're doing in New Zealand now, you know, gorse has always been considered an enormous problem, taking Mm. over thousands and thousands of acres. But now they see it as a nursery plant, so they let the gorse go and the native plants germinate underneath it in the shade. Right. And then when they grow up, of course, they destroy the gorse. They shade it out completely. So for the first few years, a bit of shade. Yes. Well... I know in my garden I planted it so that it was getting the morning sun. I planted it to the east, and that seemed successful. But I have I, I have a, a I have a snail population on the east of enormous numbers. You so. need to sharpen up your scissors. <laughs> I know. Your stomping boots or something. <laughs> no, I need to start cooking them, but I can't bear it. <laughs> Garlic. <laughs> Yes. He could use some of those chilies in it, Virginia. Wow. Now, here's somebody else's sent in. The white Cleanthus is available at Bulleen Art and Garden. Oh, how exciting. Oh. <laughs> Great. Now, I'm going to have a look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had the white one. Somebody bought me in seed and they, they germinated very easily. Mm. But, yeah, I couldn't establish them in the garden because, yeah, I couldn't. You have slugs. And I didn't really have the time to be fussing around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, well, that's always and, – and the bigger your garden, the more that becomes a problem. That's right. Yes. But aren't, my, aren't our listeners wonderful? You know, we ask a question and in comes the answer. Now we have uh, a caller again. Eleanor in – oh, no, that's no good. We will stop that noise. We don't like that. We'll wait and see if that call comes through. Back again? Yes. 
Maybe maybe Craig can talk about his little cyclamen. Yes. Yeah, well, the first one is purpurescence, which is the summer flowering species. So it, it, it's the species which carries you over from spring until the autumn ones come along. Yeah. Cool climate one. So it's a woodland one. It needs a little bit of shade, a little bit of moisture. Um, and various forms of purpurescence have been bred, silver leaf, yep. dark flower. Yeah. And they are one of those things that when they pop up, you just go, oh, how wonderful. And I have got some of these, which I got from Craig, just popping up now. And my friend in who lives in Norwich in Britain, of course, she's absolutely ecstatic because her spring ones are just coming up and it's the end of that long, hard winter. Mm-hmm. Now, we have got Eleanor, so I'll go to Eleanor from Warrigal. Good morning, Eleanor. Good morning, Virginia. Hi. Hi. I've got uh, a question that relates to the age-old principle of the symptoms of overwatering can sometimes look like the symptoms of underwatering. Mm-hmm. And the context is a friend's garden where there's prostrate cypress plants in a landscape designed in, in mounded beds, um, so sort of fairly modern design. But a lot of the, there's sort of been wholesale um, browning and yellowing of the cypress. And my bet was that it was actually the drippers that were installed were at the root zone and because it's the brown inbuilt dripper pipe. Um, So I wanted to dig one out to have a look to see, you know, what the roots look like or also just to see the soil profile to see where it's wet. But for a while, um, my friend was wanting to water them more, thinking that, oh, the brownness must be um, dryness, because we have had a few hot days. But, yeah, just if there's any clues on uh, if I cut them back really hard, the ones that have still got a bit of green, now that we've turned off the watering system, may they have a chance at survival? Or... um, yeah, and the reason why I think it's overwatering is in the same garden where the landscape is planted, there's some that are wholly relying on rainfall in another area of the garden. Um, rainfall and, you know, maybe they've had a few supplementary waters and they're thriving. So it's just the ones that are around um, the area that have got the brown dripper pipes that have got the inbuilt um, drippers. I think you answered the question. <laughs> You're exactly right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's too much water without a doubt. And at this sort of time of year, I mean, this experience of this year, I would say you turn your drippers off. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly, are they, are they capressors or do you know what sort of conifer they are? Um, no, but if you tell me how I might, if it's something really distinctive, I could possibly work it out. Yeah, juniper would uh, be the other prostrate. But it doesn't matter yeah. which one it, it is. Yeah. No, but yeah. Um, well, it kind of does matter. Sorry, Virginia, but because d- different conifers have different requirements, and if they are capressors, then they like it dry. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that, that's interesting. Well, yeah. if I Google the foliage, it might help me, um, you know, look at them. Are they a particular like, colour or? Uh, like a bluey green colour. Well, sounds more like juniper. Unless yeah. they unless they are um, greenstead, which is the blue. 
But surely, Craig, at this time, having drippers on while we're getting this much rain out of the no, heavens... No, the, the drippers have been off for oh, a right. while. Right. Yeah. yeah, but um, I, I just when I saw it turning, there was a bit of a, a kind of a um, he said, she said thing, and I, I was voting for, um, you know, err on the side of caution and turn the drippers off, but sort of respecting what my friend wanted to do. And, yeah, then she had some other gardeners over and they... They all said, yeah, we think it's too much water too. So, um, yeah, we'd like to plant again. And for that particular species in Gippsland, would March or would autumn be a good time to replant, to replace the ones that there's, where there's been wholesale deaths around Ab- the landscape? Absolutely, tonight? yeah. Yes. I mean, if you're there, I mean, I'd put them in now. While yeah. they're growing, and um, and you know the roots will settle in very quickly if you're there to water them a little bit. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I'd say definitely too wet. Yeah, and we've yeah. all we've all lost plants this year because it's been too wet. Yeah, all of us. Yeah, yeah. I had a ginkgo yeah. drop dead just last week. Mm. Um, I've lost my and first it's rose. Definitely too wet. Mm. I've lost my mm. first rose. Yeah. Mm. And the pimelias in the same area, there was a bit of a similar situation with them. Not not as graphic as, you know, multiple deaths, but, um, yeah, some of the pimelias have kind of thrived and I've been deadheading them because they seem to really, um, even though it's a bit tedious, sort of picking off the pom-poms, they seem to really do well when they've been deadheaded and... Um, yeah, I don't know what that is in response to, but, yeah, they green up and look really good. It'd just be giving them an opportunity to settle in when they're not putting their energy into flowering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay, well, if there's nothing else, um, no other suggestions, do um, do they like a particular pH, um, the um, cypress? I don't... Th- look, I don't think they'd be fussy. Okay. I don't think they'd good. be fussy, but they wouldn't like to be soggy. Yeah, yeah, and it made me wonder about new plantations. You know, maybe drippers are good for someone that is a new gardener that, you know, it's all timed and it's set up for them. But if it would be my new garden, I'd probably rather selectively hand water because then I can sort of watch what's going as they're settling in. Yeah. And I think maybe that might have been, um, because I hadn't met this friend at the time when it was newly established and perhaps, yeah, it was set up to make it low maintenance for her, but it sort of, yeah, it might have been a bit of a set up to fail because, you know, you you can't you can't actually sort of visualise what's going on until you see symptoms, and then it's too late. Particularly with soggy, that's right. They're really dead before you know it. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. but um, also it's an extraordinary season. Yeah. It would be unlikely yeah. that we'd get this for quite yeah. a long time. Yeah. And if I tried to use the ones from the front that are growing well to propagate more just to save her costs, um, is it the time of the year um, to take sort of tip cuttings and give that a go and use either the softwood hormone or the hardwood? Peter Teese always says to me that you do conifers after the first frost. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's good because... I'd, I'd try pinning some pieces down and see if you can get them to layer. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's nice to make plants from your own plants and not have to, 
sort of spend again, particularly when it's been a big outlay at the start. So I'll try both those methods and yeah, um, yeah, watch watch out for too much water again. Yes, <laughs> fantastic. Okay, thank, thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. And we have another call on line eight. Good morning. Hello. Hello. This is Fermi. Excellent, <laughs> Fermi. I thought it might be you. You've come up as Burn on the... And I thought, I bet that's Fermi. Because he's changed his name, so we're not vetting calls. <laughs> Good morning, Fermi. Hi, Fermi. Hi, uh, Craig. Hi, Jane. Hi, Virginia. Um, yeah, uh, oh, there's so much to talk about. Oh, Lamley. Oh, dear. Uh, you can't begrudge David retiring. Oh, no, no. We, we such don't. a great yeah. job for yeah. so many years. Absolutely. You must have a lot of his sort of dry climate perennials and stuff in your garden. Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. His, his, um, I can't believe that, that that garden does not get any water because it just looks so spectacular every time I've been there. Yeah. You know, the, the, the dry climate garden that the they've made in that walled garden. But, uh, yeah, no, we, we grow quite a lot of um, uh, the landly thing. My trouble is getting them from the pots into the ground at the right time. We we have, uh, there's a, a lovely um, uh, dwarf Santolina that he grows. It's growing in a pot that is rooted into the ground, and I'm thinking, when is it going to be possible for me to transplant this? Why? Uh, it's the roots have established themselves. If I move it now, it'll it'll uh, rip the roots out of the ground. Yeah. Well, you're going to have, only... have to. Why don't you dig it out? I will. But, and cut uh, the pot to, off. Yeah, have to wait till the weather's a bit cooler. Super easy from cuttings. Just make some more. Yeah, might have to try that too. Is this a <laughs> good time to take cutting? I would have thought so. Yep. Particularly yeah, this year when everything's that. so slow. Yeah. I. Um, I was one. I know um, Jane mentioned it earlier that um, next um, at the end of the month, the twenty fifth of February, the Alpine Garden Society Victorian Group have got a buy swap and sell uh, up at the Alinda Hall, Alinda Community House, um, next to the Alinda Pool, and um, there's going to be a few uh, interesting things. We have. Um, we have a subgroup now called the Crocus Group, and uh, this is being um, uh, headed by Matt Murray, who some people might know from the, the Mount Tomar Botanic Gardens up in the Blue Mountains. And Matt is a is what is known as a croco nut. <laughs> he is mad about crocus. Does he know uh, you call him that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the other name is a. A crocophile. Crocophile, yeah, like like yeah. a galanthophile. No, I think I prefer yeah, coconut. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I like coconut. coconut. <laughs> I think it's coconut much better. Yeah. Sorry, um, we digress. Go on. And um, he's sending down a whole lot of uh, horns of some varieties that aren't usually available commercially. Not there's much available commercially at all in Australia. So I'm and, working uh, on it. <laughs> Since I've been working in Otto Faust's garden, I think I might be becoming a little bit of a croconut. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's and you know these these things are usually only held by a few specialists, and 
and uh, we're losing those sort of um, suppliers, you know, with, um, as you said, Moidat closed and, and um, you know, Marcus Harvey's passed away and, yeah, there's, um, and Greg uh, um, Balderson's no longer running a nursery. I know, he's another loss, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least he's still alive. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he, and he but, has yeah. this massive brain of knowledge and things, and um, yeah, yeah, but not actually sort of selling things to the public anymore, which is um, yeah, yeah a bit bit sad for all of us. But I think he's yeah. a lot happier. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, he can make a better living um, working in gardens rather than trying to um, run a nursery. So mm. yeah. We're just glad that Craig's still going. Exactly. Now, Fermi, there's another text come in saying that next Saturday at 2pm, Russell Waite is giving an Eremophila talk at Fernie Creek. Yes, yes. And he is the absolute expert on said Eremophilas. He's written this massive tome on uh, Eremophilas. I'm not sure. He probably will bring some for sale. Uh, I'm not sure about that. But um, I might actually just check with him if he is. I hope he will, and um, he probably will. But um, I think it was like a self-published book, so um, it's not really available anywhere else except through him. So Uh he will definitely, I assume, have the book for sale as well next Saturday, 2 p.m., Fernie Creek. So they would grow well in your nephew's garden in Flemington. Well, yeah, I've got it. I mean, the, the the problem is he's got a small backyard. It's obviously been laid out just to, uh, you know, sell the house, you know, which he bought a year and a half ago, and it's got a lemon tree. You know, that's <laughs> of course, that's useful. Uh, Flemington, um, but and roses and and things like that, which he's not really keen on. So he'd rather have um, have a native garden, but he needs. I'm totally useless at design, so I'm. They, we need somebody who can actually. Design it. And, if, um, if he's got a small garden, he can do it himself on practice. And it, can yeah. I say, has he checked what bulbs might be in the garden? Has he lived through an autumn and a spring? Well, no. Well, I mean, we didn't talk about that. So I just was there a very short time last night when, before it got dark. And um, just looking at the garden was sort of like, well, yeah, it's, it's a very perfunctory garden, the essential lemon tree, but... Um, and a bit of a sitting-out area and things like that, but um, not much in the way of things he likes. Uh, and I don't don't even know what the soil in Flemington would be like for, um, for planting things. Is he down on the flats? It is. It's, uh, it's, it's the higher side of Flemington in that it, it didn't get flooded during the, the floods in that area. Okay. But... Uh, it's not. It's, it's a completely flat garden. There's no no slope or anything. Yeah, because the the soil should be quite good. Mm. Be bas- um, um, sedimentary soil from the Maribyrnong. Okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be I'd be encouraging him to do it himself and trial and error. And Karanga. Yeah. And the other thing is, and, Fermi, you could try a student designer. Um, like I don't know whether you've at Melbourne Flower Show like there's the big garden designs that they do and then there's that small alley of the tiny ones that are done by um, students and you might be you might find that there'd be someone out there that would do it as a part of a project for um, a uni um, degree 
So, oh, right, and it yeah. might be a good opportunity for someone young to sort of come in and, and say, this is where, where I see it and draw pictures for your nephew, that kind of thing, draw it up. Um, and, you know, both of them get a chance to sort of get involved and, and yeah. achieve something together. And, and oh. maybe get a more interesting palette of plants than your average. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, well oh, there's, look, a, there's some suggestions idea. for you, Fermi. Thanks very much. Okay. And by the way, I'm not going anywhere either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're about the only person who sells bulbs like that anymore. Probably. Absolutely. Oh, goody, I can put my prices up. <laughs> <laughs> not to us. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm only kidding anyway. Thanks, uh, Fermi. Yeah. Okay, thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Thanks for the suggestion. Bye. Yes, well, that was good. And on line seven, we have Max from Sunbury. Good morning, Max. Oh, hi. Um, I'm in Thornbury, actually. But oh, I've got <laughs> Thornbury a, will do. Uh, <laughs> yes, close enough. Um, I've got a, um, a Moor Park apricot. Um, it's four or five years old, uh, and it's um, I've pruned it to a an open vase shape and I'm wondering about um, cutting it back um, because it's getting too big and also because it's had very little fruit, maybe half a dozen um, um, (laughs) is what we got off it this summer. Um, um, How old is it, Max? Maybe five years old now. Um, It's sort of... That's young for fruiting. Mm. Yeah, and it would have hated this wet weather that right. we've had. Right. Apricots like it dry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's about oh, three meters to the tallest stems and four meters wide. Um, and yeah, it's getting a bit big to um, say net. Um, um, yeah, just wondering about the timing of pruning as well for pruning for fruit. I know this apricots timing. Apricots yeah. are one of the ones that they recommend summer pruning. And mm. can I say netting is difficult, so prune it down so that you can yeah. keep yeah. it to a height that is manageable for you. I mean, I've never pruned yeah. apricots, but I would assume that it's similar to a plum. I think with apricots there is particularly they recommend summer pruning because of the the bleeding of the sap. Okay. Mm. And and, and are the, when when are the fruiting bodies apparent? The fruiting spurs. They'd have to be. You'd have to be able to see them now, because that I mean that with all fruit trees, that's understanding the difference between a fruiting spur and a leaf bud is the important thing. Mm. I'm not very good at that. Um. <laughs> Max, you will get good. Yeah, at. that's right. It, 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 yeah, have a look. I mean, with computers these days, everything's made very yeah. clear, and you can once okay. you know the difference, you'll see it very quickly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, look, thanks very much. Best of um, luck. Yeah. Okay. And you know, I, I, I've, I've got a few fruit trees in my garden. I espalier them. Yes. Um, yeah. Because that way I can net them. Because the parrots are dynamite. Mm. Um, yes. It's between the rats and the um, yes. ringtail possums at my place, yeah. <laughs> mostly. Yeah. yeah. But the okay. I think 
the two things to take out of this is one that five years is young for the tree. Mm-hmm. So don't, and of course, put your banana peels and things like that on it. Mm-hmm. In, in um before you know in spring when it's forming the fruit, because they do yep. like a bit of potassium at that stage. Yep. Yeah. Be- okay. Best of luck, Max. All right. Thank you. Thank yep. you. Okay. Bye. Yes, I think we can't expect too much too quickly. We've if, had. We've if I was living in a drier climate, apricots would be top of the list because mm. they're one of the fruits that you just can't buy good ones. No, they. They do have t- to be off the tree. They taste so much better. So off the tree, much don't better. They? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've had um, an interesting text, which I'm quite pleased about. That we don't know who from. Somebody said alpine perennials in Harrietsville which is not somewhere where I regularly go, I have to admit, has got the most stunning perennial border. So anybody who's up in that area or likely to go up that way, stop in at Alpine Perennials in Harrietville. Okay. I didn't know it existed. No, I've never been. I know it exists, but I've I've never been to look. But I can only imagine the sort of things that they might be growing in Harrietville. But do they have Alpine Perennials? Well, if they're so called, one thinks it's highly likely. Yeah. <laughs> now that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, It'd be wonderful. Hard maybe, to find. Maybe we should do a day trip. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be fun. Yeah, <laughs> I would really like that. And we've had another. We might need a trailer as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Alpine perennials and I would get on terribly well. My hot north wind, I don't think they'd like it. No, they like it wet. Mm. Craig I, and I can give it a good go. Yeah, then, I've, been, okay. I've got some salmacia established in my garden now and they like it to be really wet. Right. Wow. Yeah. And we also have the address for the Begonia Show, which is 964 Nepean Highway, Moorabbin, in the NG Wishart Centre. So that is 964 Nepean Highway, Moorabbin. On the 25th and 26th of February. For the Begonia yeah. Show. Yeah. We're doing very well on getting all our awful oh, bits yeah. together. Thank you, everybody who's listening, because there is a few I've missed, which I'm rather cross with myself for missing, but nevertheless. We had one other call saying, what is the role of horticulturalists in climate change? And um, I think that <coughs> is a very big question, but I think one of the things that we must be talking about is how it affects particularly our tree planting. Because yeah. we do, when you plant a tree, you're talking about 100 years. Mm-hmm. So planting, for example, at the Botanic Gardens, an oak fell about a year ago. They are not planting English oaks in the oak lawn at the Botanic Gardens anymore because mm-hmm. they have done a, plant, a plan to 2090. And so all the trees have to be able to live in 2090 when they're predicting that Melbourne will have a climate like Dubbo. So they're planting brachychiton? No, they're planting Mexican. Mexican. Mexico Mexico has more oaks than anywhere else in the world. So So they're planting Mexican oaks? Yes, because they come from a much hotter, drier climate. And this is the thing we, I think we have to... I mean, I've always wanted to plant a Davidia. I've tried, I've failed. And there's stunning Davidias just near you, Craig, I've got one in my garden. Big You've one. got a stunning one in your garden. Mm-hmm. You've got more down in the... A periander, though, it's enormous, enormous, but that's in a fern gully. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, and I have had to come to terms with the fact that I can't grow a Davidia, and I think as, as horticulturalists we all have to take on board that our climate is getting 
hotter and drier and we have to... I don't think it makes any difference when you're planting parsley, but it certainly makes a difference when you're planting a tree. Asking what the role with horticulturalists is in climate change would depend entirely on the area of horticulture that you're in too. Mm. It's a big um, range of people. So if you're growing commercially, then you'd have probably quite a big role to play in terms of changing practices. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. And especially in trees and natives and shrubs and things like that. um, Things that last, yes. yes. Um, And also the conversation, actually linking the fact of of the change to our climate, linking it to how we behave as plant growers. Yeah. And, I, and I think it's educating, it, like our role as horticulturalists, I just call myself a horticulturalist, how's that? Um, that, it, you know, we have to create a microclimate in your garden and I think it's that thinking ahead of planting some tree that you're going to then be able to plant what underneath kind of thing as well of um, so that you can somewhat control a situation that, that's happening in your garden Um, and, you know, specifically for us, it's planting deciduous trees and things like ginkgos and that, that then, um, I can underplant with woodland things and, um, you know, you can start with this blazing hot open paddock and plant your oaks and, and do all that. And then you've got this beautiful soil and things. And your lemon scented gums because they come from further north naturally. And and they cast such a beautiful shade. It's a dappled shade and it's a shade under which you can grow many things. Mm. Unlike a conifer. Yeah. So I think, you know, our role as horticulturists is is educating people that it's not just about what's happening in the garden bed, it's creating the canopy. Yeah. I might say that if you want to ring us on 94190155, please do, or send us a text on 0488 809 855. And you can always send us an email on gardening at 3cr.org.au, but we won't respond to that till next week. And unfortunately, if you send us a text, photos don't work for us. Don't know why. It's got to do with the computer. But we definitely can't take a photo, unfortunately. Let's go back to your flowers. Cyclamen hydrofolium, which has been in flower for about two or three weeks now in the garden, and now they're starting to pop up everywhere. And and this one is Ruby Glow. Mm -hmm. It's seed from the Cyclamen Society in the UK, and it's a beauty. It's very dark. And it's... Much earlier than the other ones. Yeah, and it's one of the darkest purple sort of burgundy-coloured cyclamen that yeah, you I know, think so. I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. Um, I'm so impressed that you've got it. It's fabulous. Well, yeah, it's, it's going well in the garden. Yeah. Hopefully it'll set lots of seed for me um, because it seems to come true. Great. Yeah. Because yeah. hydrofoliums are natural sort of white through to and pinks and, and things, but the, this is a dark purple magenta. Yeah. We'll look at. Ruby Glow is a great name for it. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it um, it's being bred now with the um, arrow leaf and silver leaf and all sorts of different forms. Yeah. So, yeah, look out. Because if you're a cicla nut, a um, cicla nut. <laughs> uh, it's all about the leaves and things too. But. Um, just, just in your normal hydrofolium, there is so much variation in leaf patterns and things that 
um, you could you could go crazy in selecting things out. Well, yeah, I mean, in the northern hemisphere, the Europeans really breed them for leaf pattern. Yep. Yeah. I like the flowers. I think. Yeah. I think they're beautiful. And um, some of them smell beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had pots of um, heterofolium to take to Melbourne last year, and um, my darling Kirill was putting pots aside and I'm like, oh, okay, he's getting them ready. You know, we put labels on and everything. He's like, no, we're keeping that one. We're keeping that one. We're keeping that one. <laughs> well, for leaf form. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that he's addicted to plants or anything. But, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. I think, so you I, didn't sell nearly as many. No, no. And then it's more to look after, isn't it? It's yeah. a bit crazy. But This was um, for Mificus. Yeah. So you will have you will have cyclamens for yes. sale at Mificus. Yes, we will. Um and lots of other things, definitely lots of marines and things like that. Um, so looking forward to it because with that two-year hiatus up until last year, it, it was sort of devastating um, for us and a lot of other people in the industry too because it's, it's our biggest um, show of the year and often our biggest money earner earns me more than two catalogues kind of scenario. So um, just for the sheer volume of people that go through the gate, um, and, it, and it's nice to know that I can hold my own up against the big boys. So Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, really important. And you have a fantastic array of nareens, don't you? Yeah, and the, and the colour. Because it's at the end of March and the nareens are in sort of full flower, it's um, gardeners sort of um, buy with their eyes. Um, so if they can see something in, in flower that's a sort of instant sales and things, whereas, you know... But I think um, also it's a good idea to buy things, I mean, not necessarily in flower, but say you want something for an autumn colour, it's worth mm. actually trying that to buy you can it in see it. autumn. Yeah. Yes, mm. so you know what mm. it's going to do. With yeah. autumn colour, I think it's essential mm. because it's, they're so variable, mm. particularly liquid ambers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and, and the palmatums, the Japanese maples, particularly the species, is enormously variable. I wouldn't buy one at any other time of the year. Other than in autumn mm-hmm. to see it in its To make sure that you get the colour. colour. Mm. Yeah. Robin has texted in, Hi there, we have a beautiful lemon-scented gum in our garden. However, it is underplanted with dietes, planted about 10 years ago during much drier times. We would like to take them out. Any tips for this? For getting rid of the dietes, mm. sharpen your spade. <laughs> and slice them off. Or yeah, like, they're hard to get out. Yeah. They are hard to get out, but also remember that we will be going back into drought. Yeah. This absolutely wonderful period we've had of lots of rain. But there is way more interesting things you can grow than dieties, dieties. even in a dry climate. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Much, I mean, just, you know, again, a walk around Karanga or a walk around all sorts of places, yeah. a walk around or Cranbourne. Or a trip down to Lyle yes, in, in Lara. Now, there is a fabulous yeah. dry garden nursery. That's right. Lyle in, what's it called? Roraymia. 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 In Lara, just outside Geelong, a fabulous dry mm. and lovely garden to walk around. Mm-hmm. Very, really interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Worth a drive. Definitely. Yeah. And we've got John Bel- Bentley from Melton Botanic Gardens on the line. Good morning, John. How are you? Good, thank you. Great to hear you're back. Yes, it is. It's nice, isn't it? <laughs> I, I just want to, if I could, give an update on the Friends of the Melton Botanic Garden. Um, it's, as it's an important the, year for you, isn't it? It's our 20th anniversary <laughs> year, yes. Uh, so we've got quite a lot of things planned. But uh, next Sunday 
we have for the Sustainable Living Festival a guided tour at 10 o'clock and I've posted um, the flyer on as a comment on your 3CR uh, page. Fabulous. For Thank you. Today. Um, and um, we're also opening the nursery, so that, that opens on the second and fourth Sundays at 10 o'clock. So that's open, but... Um, the eucalypts have, and I know a lot of people have talked about things not being propagated and everything, but our eucalypts seem to have come on really well. And so they've released the eucalypts, and there's so far about 31 species for sale. How fantastic. So that if you people look on our website uh, or just Google the friends, um, it's fmbg.org.au, but uh, you'll get a list of, if you look at the plant list, there's three pages of... Um, plants that are there for sale and um, the species of um, the 31 eucalypts I can see on here. Yeah. And, so, and John, I might just say Robin, who texted us in looking for something to plant under her lemon-scented, if she goes for a walk through your garden, that will give her lots and lots of wonderful ideas. Oh, yes, you'll find. We, we've got, there's quite a few of the um, Carimbia citradoras that were planted in the uh, 1970s and 80s in the garden. And you'll see uh, things that grow under them and things that don't grow under them because some of the, a lot of the salt bushes will grow under them, Gardenia rabata, um, and um, Dianellas will grow under there, uh, and a few of the poas and other grasses too. So, yeah. That, so, um, yes, the, guided, that. the guided um, walk, John, do people have to book for that at that 10 o'clock It, it spot? is helpful if they, they do book, but... Um, uh, we're just providing morning tea at the end, and that's pretty easy to do. But um, if um, if people book, it just makes it a bit easier. On catering yeah. at the end, yeah. 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 And can you give us the website again, John? It's F for friends, mbg.org.au. And I noticed you talked a little bit about aromophilus before, and mm. um, the Melton Botanic Garden has a, a collection of at least... 130 species and forms of Aromophila. Oh, that's impressive. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we also, a lot of people forget, but we, we now have all the, all the plants we've managed to record uh, available online through Garden Explorer, and that's just melton.gardenexplorer.org. And if people go to our website, there's links to all of these things, to the flyer and everything else and the walks that we've got plan during the year. Fantastic, John, because I have to say it is quite a stunning garden and anyone who hasn't been there, you've just got to go, even if it's a long drive, even if you live right up the other end of the Arrow Valley <laughs> because it's divine. Mm. Yeah, we, we bump into people from all over the place. Uh, they come from across Victoria, um, uh, across Australia and I bumped into a German couple that had... Um, uh, been recommended to go to the Botanic Garden a few weeks ago. So. Wow. Yes, and so. we've got a couple American couple here at the moment who listen to this show in America all the time, and what I must do is take them to Melton. We it should be, do, yes. It would be an because <laughs> it is just something that is so different. I mean, I mean, they're here because they're running away from 10 feet of snow, <laughs> oh, yeah. which is rather a lot of snow. So yeah, I think definitely I yeah. should take them up to you. They would love yeah. it. 
And Virginia, I, I will tell you, we did actually get some rain in the last two days. Excellent. We, we hadn't had anything, anything really from mid December. Mm. I, I don't think. And, yeah, uh, way in the yeah, same. Really yeah. Nice. yeah. Mm. So it, it's really pleasing. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for ringing in, John. That's excellent. And happy no 20th birthday. And, and keep up the great work. And I'll say thanks to Tom. He sounds lovely on the phone when you, when you talk to him. Uh, he's taking the calls that are coming in. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye, John. Well, that was good. Yes, Melton is just... See, Cranbourne and Melton both... Well, Melton isn't just Australian Gardens. It's also got a whole South African section. Yep. But they're both Cranbourne and Melton are just such good examples, and Karanga, but it, that's much smaller, of what you can grow. And contemporary gardens. Yes, contemporary. Mm. Beautifully, yeah, beautifully designed. And I just think, I mean, the Mallee gums in Melton are just, when they're in flower, it's just, it's breathtaking. Yeah, but they don't Take even it. need to flower. They're just such pretty little trees. Mm. Mm. Yeah, take I, your kids yeah. to these gardens, Virginia. You know, that's it, get them off iPads and mm. get out and do something. Um, you know, they're, they're all suitable to walk around with children and things. And um, let's educate some young ones because they're going to be the ones that are dealing with the climate change and things. And um, if you want to talk about our influence, it's, it's influences as parents and grandparents and things that I think is very important on our, our children to know how to look after the environment properly. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> I have got rather a difficult one from Dan in Reservoir. I have dog's vomit stroke slime mould problem, likely caused by some mulch we brought in. How do I keep it at bay or am I doomed to having to crop up forever? It's been appearing at my place too. Has it? On the mulch. What's the issue? That's what I'd say. Don't worry about it. No. What does it look like? Uh, it looks like dog's vomit okay. in big patches. Foamy. It's some sort of, sort of fungus. Yeah, okay. And it's sitting on top of the mulch. And because it's wet? Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, what's the issue? Well, most of the time, there is a really good purpose to, I mean, when you think of the bracket fungus on fallen down trees, it's yeah. a wonderful thing. So Craig might have a point there, Daniel, that it's actually, one, it won't last because we won't stay with this climate. And two, it's probably serving quite a good purpose in breaking down the mulch, and as the mulch breaks down, it will feed your soil better. It's extraordinary. I mean, I saw it emerging, and I thought, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it would have to be a big dog because they're big patches. (laughs) It it sounds like it's not that attractive. It's not attractive, no. But, you know. Well, you're not selling it very well. Yeah. (laughs) To be perfectly honest, I'm quite happy to see any sort of fungi around the garden. Yes. As long as it's not on plants, obviously. Yes. Well, I, I mean, I was I, my daughter's got some in her inside the house. Some of her house plants have developed fungi. She said, oh, what am I going to do, Mum? And I said, leave it. Mm-hmm. Just leave it. Don't overwater. Make mm-hmm. sure you're not overwatering and just leave it. Fungi is part of the soil. It, mm-hmm. it is necessary for the soil. Well, we're hoping, Dan, that we're right in saying go for it. Don't worry about it. Who knows? Unless they have some... I mean, it may be the one that we have and Linda's different and... Highly unlikely. If you've got uh, it on mulch and he's got it on mulch... Yeah. I suppose he could throw some fresh mulch over it if he doesn't like to look at it. Yeah. Mm. 
Now, Jane, you have got some rather stunning plants there. We want to start with what? I don't know. <laughs> Let, let's start with um, summer flowering gladiolus. Yes. So um, our dear friend Craig Bolder, um, Greg Balderson, sorry, um, comes in here a lot and talks about species gladys and um, most of the time I think when Greg's in it's sort of around that spring flowering and he's got these amazing gladys in his hand. Um, but there are some summer flowering um, species gladiolus. And the one I've got with us today is called Papilio, so meaning butterfly. And Craig and Virginia will be able to see that it looks like a little butterfly stuck inside. Um, Craig's grown this one up at Alinda too before. Mm-hmm. Um, it is one of the ones that they used in the breeding of the big um, commercial um, gladiolus hybrids like the Dame Edna famous ones. Um, so this along with Delenii and things like that. Um, they've used and because it's one of the taller of the species glads a lot of the ones that greg and i also grow um only get to sort of um 30 to 60 centimeters tall whereas this will get up to a meter a meter half tall but unlike the the big um hybrids it, it is still dainty and delicate um and sort of wafts around in in the breeze quite beautifully so a, a the back of a perennial border but it does like summer moisture um although it would have survived all of january without the rain and now it's had a a beautiful drink um you know you it will be drought tolerant once established but a lot of things do a lot better with um some moisture anyway um as in food, any of the, the good smelly like Organic Plus and things like that, but it also requires a little bit of garden lime. So a lot of these South African um, things, most of the Gladiolus genus is endemic to Southern Africa. There is a few through the Mediterranean and Europe, etc., but um, a high percentage of the genus is from Southern Africa. So, um, And a lot of those things enjoy a um, more alkaline soil, so a bit of garden lime is always a good addition. Um, but beautiful thing, gladiolus papilio. Definitely not the sort of thing you'd expect in Edna Average to throw off the stage. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not blousy enough. No, for, it's for very pretty. Edna, but um, very, very pretty. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, some, some good things. And another um, good thing for your back of your perennial border is um, another southern African gem called Geltonia. They did um, submerge the... Um, it into Ornithogallum for a while and then it sort of got it they've back taken, into... They've taken it back out, Well, they? as far as I can ascertain at the moment, it, it's come back again. So, And I, I think... Um, it's easier to say. Yeah, and it deserves its own genus on its own because they're, they're fabulous things, Geltonia, sometimes called Cape Hyacinth, um, which is a bit misleading because this one's tall. It gets to, um, you know, six foot tall, you know, a couple of metres um, in height. So it does need to be at the back of your perennial border. And that is Galtonia, yeah. G-A-L-T-O-N-I-A, for those yeah. who and want to look it up. one I've got is Candy Cans, which is probably the easiest to grow of the genus and the most um, at- obtainable um, from places. Um, so it's, uh, it flowers all the way through the summer and then dormant through the winter. Um, you can leave them in to do their thing, just a bit of top dressing at the end of um, winter with a bit of fertiliser is all they need. Um, so it has this beautiful long spire with a raceme of flowers at the top that are uh, slightly flaring pendulous 
snow white bells. It's one of the Christmas whites I've ever seen in um, flowers other than Weldenia. Um, so perfect for that summer garden when you need a bit of um, flower action happening. And big bulbs. And they're big bulbs, yeah. Mm. So and they're, they're like, like an onion, I suppose. Yeah. And they're not planted deep? No, well, only about two inches of soil, so 15, 10, 15 centimetres over the top is enough. Um, there is green ones in the genus, and we also have a double one, um, which is the double form of this, which is moonbeam, which was bred in New Zealand. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a few others you can try, but I would recommend that you try candy cans to uh, start first with. because it is the easiest and, you know... Um, it sort of works out to be the cheapest way of, you know, once you start buying the green one, you're sort of talking into the, um, you know, 15 to $20 range rather than sort of three for 12 um, Yeah. So and so they would be from the northern part of southern Africa, wouldn't they? Uh, uh, yeah, more than around coastal and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that I think it's actually the western, um, uh, eastern Natal. Cape that, yeah, okay. that they um, come from. Someone will correct me. Yeah, no. they're mostly those those summer flowering bulbs need a bit of moisture when they're flowering, oh, yeah. don't yeah. they? Yeah. yeah. But they they are lovely. I've got them in my garden, and they're lovely because it's just beginning to slow. I mean, I've been very good this year on on my roses, so they're all coming back nicely. Yeah. But your it, clump look good. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It looks yeah. lovely. It looks lovely. It's um, nice to have something flowering quite late in the summer because you do have that lull before the autumn. Although, as I said, my crocuses are—I mean, my um, cyclamen are coming yeah, up. Yeah. But you can have that lull, and it's nice to have some bulbs that are flowering late in the summer. And even though it's dormant over the winter, and people say, "Oh, you know, well, do I have to lift them because they get too wet?" Well, they suffer at the um, paddock at my place all winter with all the rain we get in the dandenongs, and they're perfectly fine. So, um, if you you know know eucamus, the pineapple lilies. Similar sort of situation to that. They look great together too. Mm-hmm. So, I do find the pineapple lilies look so bad when they're going down though. Because they flop over a bit. Yes. And they need a bit of moisture when they're flowering too, the pineapple lilies. They're looking absolutely fabulous in the perennial border at the Botanic Gardens at the moment. The yeah. red one makes the most incredible pot plant. Mm. It is beautiful, the foliage and flowers. Mm. And the uh. proper name of the Pineapple lily is Eucomus. Eucomus. Yeah. E-U-C-O-M-I-S. And you grow Zambesii, the little one? Um, I don't. Um, my little one that I've got is Autumnalis. It's a little bit different. It's probably not quite as white as... Okay. So it's got more green yeah. through it. But, yeah, both of those little ones Cute. are great. Yeah. And you, hardy. Yeah. Do you have it for sale? I do. Yeah. So both of you have this for sale? Yeah. So it's worth having a look at. Yes. And Craig, what's another one of yours? Oh, look, Echinops, which is billed as a full sun plant, and you would look at it and say, yes, this plant needs sun. But a little while ago, I was up two two doors up from me in what used to be Val Townsend's property. Val Townsend had a hydrangea nursery there. And down the back, in deep shade, here was this great big clump of Echinops flowering its head off. So yep. it'll, because so I've got it in full sun, and it'll flower anywhere. It will, and, and I think, in fact, better in a bit of shade. You've probably... 
nice the foliage maintains yeah, itself. It doesn't really deep green that's rather right. than that yeah. faded sort of look when it's out in full yep. sun. I agree. Great. And and it, it it begs the question that do do we slavishly follow English gardening advice or do we make our own up? Make our own. Yeah, and and certainly everything that we've got about Echinops would come from the Northern Hemisphere. I think they're beautiful. It's Echinops is E C H I N O P S for Globe Echinops. thistle. Globe that thistle. Venaticus. The... Yes. Yeah. 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 And on that, I have got Brilliantasia in my garden, and people plant it, which is it's like um, it's like a salvia on steroids. It's absolutely mm. beautiful, and people plant that in full sun. When when Craig and Stephen and I were in Mauritius, we saw it growing wild down a steep gully. It was absolutely breathtakingly beautiful and it mm. was in largely shade. And I've planted mine in semi-shade ever since. So I think this is right. We, yeah. We've got to – we don't – we ask questions like, will it take north wind, not does it want the English summer sun? Yeah. So I think with Echinops, as opposed to like Eryngenums and things that will take a lot more of that dry, full sun yeah. thing, um, from my experience of Echinops as a cut flower, they love a lot of moisture too. So yeah. um, it sort of makes sense that uh, afternoon shady, it, it makes them, the heads bigger and stuff too. This was not, this was shade. Yeah. Oh, full shade. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was okay. not afternoon shade. Wow. It was under big trees. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Flowering its head off. I like that idea. Yeah. Is that another one? This is um, Veach's Blue. Isn't that gorgeous? Yeah, which is a smaller flower, much darker, smaller plant. Um, Very handsome. Yeah. Very so handsome. Globe thistle's the common name. Look, they're not nothing rare or precious, but they're interesting perennials to yeah. have. Yeah. Got them in pots at the moment, Craig, with the Yes, nursery? both. And I find also that they self-seed for me, which I'm very pleased about because I don't ever find them... In the paddocks. That's never happened at my place. They haven't self-sown. No. Oh, I have. No. But only around the base of the not plant. A, not a yeah. huge amount. Mm. But, but Interesting yes. though, mm. isn't it? Mm. And as I said, I've, they've never turned up further afield. Mm. Yeah, and I've bought in a, a selection of perennial flocks, oh. which have sort of disappeared. They have. From they, the commercial trade. Yeah. You used to go up to Norgates and get yeah, them by the spadeful. Yeah. But and they are horrible in pots yeah, in terms of appearance, yeah. which of course is why they've disappeared from the commercial yeah. trade. Yeah, you would look at them in a pot and say, if you're going to a nursery and buying perennial flocks and pots, I'd tip them out and have a look at the roots because that's really what you're paying for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not the top. But this one is is starfire that I'm holding in my hand now, which is probably as close to red as a flocks gets. It's amazing. And yeah. The- I'm used to flocks with just the sort of single umbel at the top, and this has got what two or three mm-hmm. um, branched, and the smell in here is heavenly. Yeah, yeah. the perfume's fantastic, and again, a little bit of shade for the flocks; they do much better. Yep. Than in, than out in the hot sun, and, and they patience. appreciate a bit of moisture over the summer yeah, too, yeah, 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 and lots of mulch. Yep. And patience because they take a while to make big clumps, mm-hmm. a few years. Okay. Yeah. Now, as, um, so what was that one called? The Starfire. Red? Starfire. Is yeah. it a paniculata? Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. and I would plant it with a lime green euphorbia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, rather than there trying we go, to, Craig's garden designing. Rather than <laughs> trying to tone down the hot colour, I'd yeah. sort of accentuate it. it. Yeah. yeah, it is really it's, intense colour for a flock. It is nice. Um, yeah, it's stunning. I love it. And an, do another couple. Of um, Blue Pacific. What what I really love oh. about flocks is that they are a different colour depending on the light. So they change colour all day, and how you how it turns in the yeah yeah, yeah. because there's, when you're turning that in your hand too, there's a bit of purple sheen through that. Too. If you look at it in the midday sun, it's pink. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, and then then when the sun gets a bit softer, and so in the early morning and in the evening, it's it's definitely blue. Because they were sort of famous for that um, cottage garden look with delphiniums and things like that, weren't yeah. they? Yeah. Um, I I I'd like to see them back. Well done. They, look, they do well in Australian gardens. I mean, I've got a friend in Brunswick who grows big clumps of flocks in yeah. his garden. That's great. Yeah. So it's, it's just, yeah, patience. So and, P-H-L-O-X for the yeah. flocks. And this one comes from Long Acres, and I reckon it was probably planted by Arthur Streeton. Oh, wow. Because I don't think anybody since has planted flocks there. Yeah. Um, of course, nowadays it's succumbed to the deer, so it's not there anymore. Oh, that's so sad. It is so sad. But it's a really deep pink one. Hopefully eventually and you strong. can one back. Yeah, I've got, yeah. I've got them at yeah. home. I've propagated from it. Yeah. And again, that's got the really branched head on the top. Yeah. And are you selling them even though they look terrible in pots? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. I have plenty of them. Mm. People, uh, they're quite a good line to sell. But you'd be able to see them in the garden up there and... Say this is what it looks like when it's yeah yeah. I mean, apart from a customer whom I spent half an hour explaining to her that they look terrible in pots, and then she looked at me and said, "But they look awful." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Did she buy one? She did. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. We've had another text from Robin. Further to my initial inquiry, do you see any problems putting a garden shed beneath the lemon-scented gum? The tree was planted in the 70s, so it has a huge height and spread. Why not? I think that'd be fine. I wouldn't be putting a concrete bottom on it. No. Yeah. On a shed. Yeah. It depends on the scale of it. Yes, yeah. true. But yes, I don't think there'd be any problem, Robin. Yeah. Back to flocks. Flocks. Mm-hmm. Um, satin veil. Satin veil is a soft pink with a white eye. And it's another wow. strong one. Wow. Yeah. The foliage seems a lot longer. Like the leaves are a lot longer than the... Probably because of the shade. Okay. Yeah. And maybe because, you know, what we do with fertiliser. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Could be. They have the, these amazing sort of um, long lanceolate leaves that um, are arranged opposite each other, up the stem generally. Yeah. Some of them are probably... And nice new bronze, new foliage on a lot yeah. of them. So when they're surfacing, they and can... And what height does that one get to? Mm, 1.2. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So anywhere from sort of 80 centimetres through to 1.2. Yeah, with a feed, yeah. Be, yeah, with a feed. <laughs> and again, Craig, what are we feeding them? <laughs> um, whatever's in the shed. <laughs> yeah. Generally Campbell's Organic Life Plus, because that, that, that's down at Muir's down the road. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. Yeah, if I was somewhere else, it would be what they carried. Yeah. Now we have rather a long message here. Hello, everyone. I've sent in a long rambling message. We are in Preston on a sloping block. It's higher at the front and lower at the back. Our backyard has a hot western aspect. Just over three years ago, we planted a rather mature jacaranda sapling that was about 1.5 metres tall. We prepared the soil, 
mixing in a bit of compost using our regular clay. I think we put a bit of gypsum in too. We dug about a metre wide, relatively deep. Sadly, the tree was quite root-bound. We trimmed the roots a little. After three years, it is really failing. Its leaf buds never opened this season. We'd really love to try another one. It's been really boggy and wet in our yard. One thing we didn't do was mound up. Do you think we should try another one if we mounded it up, or are we doomed to failure? No, I don't think you're Jess. doomed to failure at all. Mm. Yeah, I would say it's the wet season that's knocked it off. Mm. And is, is it the lower the, the the garden slopes away from the house, mm. and it's at the lower section of the garden, so it's going to be the wettest. So maybe trying it again, if you could move it a bit further up, mm-hmm. would seem advisable. Yeah. Uh, Melbourne has been the edge of the jacaranda range, mm-hmm. but usually the problem with jacarandas is the cold. But they do well in Melbourne. Yeah, yes. they were quite beautiful this year. Yeah, mm. yeah. So yeah, I'd give I'd it another shot. I'd sort of try and suggest that you check out the roots in if you're buying another one. Check out the roots in the pot tree because the the pot bound bit wasn't going to help in the first place. First place. No, I don't, I don't have an issue with pot bound. You know, I think. That we're, it, it's a it's a matter of getting the making sure that the central root system, the part that's pot bound, doesn't dry out in the well initially when it's settling in. Yeah. But I also think, I mean, I was taught when I was at Burnley that a smaller plant will always catch up with the bigger plant mm-hmm. in, yeah, in trees. I'd agree with yeah. that. That so that you you don't go backwards by planting in something that's quite small but but one point what did you say 1.5 meters mm. that's that's not big no it's not too big is yeah. it? i'd give it another go yeah i'd give it another mm. shot i was at your minor the other day and they have white ones and mm-hmm. variegated ones mm-hmm. so yeah. that's your minor rare plants yeah. in in Mombolk. yeah on interesting Hill Road, is it i think there? white could be quite beautiful oh, if it's yeah. a really clean clean white mm. and we've had um peter from notting hill who's one of our very regular mm. listeners has said this year we've had a tomato growing called Silvery Fir Tree, which he bought from Bulleen Art and Garden. It has been the most amazing producer of fruit, so I'd like to highly recommend it to listeners for next year. So that is a, a tomato called Silvery Fir Tree. It's an odd name for a tomato, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it an odd name for yeah. a tomato? But if it works, it works. Yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. Silvery yeah. Fir Tree. Mm. Mm. Yes, no, but back to the jacaranda, I think definitely try again. Yep. I'd also, I wouldn't rush to pull it out. Could come back. It could come back. Yeah. My poor jacaranda, it got completely decimated by a fallen gum tree. Yeah. It's and come back. And bounced back again. Well, it, but but a wet, wet roots is pretty terminal, terminal. usually. Yes, yeah. yes yeah. it can be. Yes. A difficult one. Yeah. Mm. Maybe try putting a wheelbarrow of gravel underneath it. Mm. Like digging a really huge hole. Mm. And mixing that through so the yeah. drainage is improved. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do with my dead ginkgo. <laughs> poor dick, poor dick. <laughs> Very grumpy. Yes, because they're, they're so slow growing. And it was marrakin, you know, it's, it's one of the compact varieties grafted on a standard. So, mm. I yeah. had one of them and somebody mowed over it. Ouch. I was furious. Yeah. But there was nothing to be done, so that was that. Damage is done. Mm, quite. Yeah. yeah. That's the trouble with ride-on mowers. They're very um, definite, as it were. Yeah, yeah, it's true, true. Yeah. Very definite. Right, Maybe we'll... he was going too fast. Mm. Yeah. 
<laughs> Absolutely. We have time for, I think, one more plant. Um, oh, double agapanthus. There you go. Um, no, no seeds. It, it's that, sterile. No seeds. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's very double. Um, not normally the sort of plant I'd grow. I have a couple in my garden. I have one called Snowflake, yep. which is fantastic white dwarf one that doesn't seed yep. either. And this one, I don't know its name. It's very beautiful. Yeah. Um, so your traditional blue uh, Aggie. Much but, shorter than a yeah. normal one. But the head spread is like a normal tall. Yeah, that's right. And very double. Yeah. Yeah, extraordinary. I've never seen a double yeah. before until now. So Gift um, from a client. Mm. I think these sterile Aggies are quite good because they are very, in the heat, either blue or white just has a very good feel. Yeah. But we cannot have them just spreading into paddocks. It's just no, but if people, Absolutely, know, they're a noxious weed. Cut, yeah, cut the and, heads off once they finish flowering. Yeah. You know. But you can't rely on people doing no. that. My recommendation is plant one that's not going to set seed. Yep. Um, or the deciduous ones have never had an issue with them. Can I remind everybody that next weekend OGV has three open gardens in Footscray on the Sunday and they will be looking absolutely lovely, so that would be something to look at. And the following weekend there's the Chili Festival in the Yarra Valley. I do think it's wonderful when we get small gardens in the city to look at because there's Absolutely. so much to learn from them. Yeah. yeah. But you said they're all productive gardens. They're productive gardens. Yeah. Yes. So and, and Doug, our, our producer, said he's seen one of them and it's oh. absolutely fabulous. Okay. So that's something that's worth. And can thinking. I just oh. put a reminder? My catalogue's out. Absolutely. www.tonkinsbulbs.com.au If everyone wants something to do while they're having their cup of tea this morning, absolutely. Have a peruse. Absolutely excellent. Thank you, everybody. I hope you'll tune in next week. Bye-bye.